Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the best acrylics and mediums, core watercolors, and Williamsburg oil paints in New Berlin, New York. An employee-owned company, Golden is dedicated to making the best paints that artists can use in their studios. I've been painting with Golden for over 23 years, and I swear by it. Check out their paints at your local art store or at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. They make amazing coffee and ship their beans to your doorstep so you can have incredible coffee at home. I'm an avid coffee drinker, and I love the coffee that I get from Fulcrum through their subscription service. There's always new coffee to try, and it's always top quality. Check out their coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com and add the code ALFREDSTUDIO to your order, and you'll get 20% off. That's a pretty great deal. Fulcrumcoffee.com Kevin Umania was born in 1989 and grew up in El Salvador and Los Angeles. He received a BFA from the San Francisco State University in 2014 and lives and works in Kansas City. Kevin is the co-founder of the Ekru Project, an artist-run Kansas City gallery focused on contemporary, emerging, and underrepresented artists. In 2017, he created a permanent installation at the United Nations headquarters in New York City. He's completed residencies at the Center for Book Arts in New York City, Blop Residency in London, and the Sim Residency in Iceland. His work was featured in Pattern Recognition, curated by Amy Lincoln at Spironi Westwater in 2022, and institutions owning his work include the United Nations Art Collection, Fidelity Mutual Funds Collection, the Center for Book Arts Library, and the Marin Museum of Contemporary Art. I spoke to Kevin about growing up in South Central LA, playing sports, music and art, materiality in the work, pet sounds, and much more. Here's our conversation. Um, but you were you did a whole didn't you do a whole series of paintings based on music? Yeah, it was like um, I list I think 2015. I, there was a summer where I would listen to Pet Sounds every day and then read interviews on Brian Wilson at that time. And he would talk about the sort of like uh, pocket symphony of like having arrangements, doing these musical songs in different arrangements. And um, it just inspired me to like, how can I depict art in this sort of musical arrangement, but also um in the same arrangement that symphony works where it's yeah. like uh the the rise and the climax and then the downfall and um yeah that summer was quite interesting because like i just literally i worked at a bakery at the time and i would wake up at 5 30 a.m go to work get off at one you know come home probably make myself a cocktail and just start painting for like 
six months and it's have kind of a like a nice schedule though it was a nice schedule yeah towards the end i realized oh i think i'm going a little crazy listening to pet sounds and um not talking to anyone <laughs> yeah pet sounds is uh that's a tough one for me i like i i it's an amazing record it's mm-hmm. it's you know masterpiece really but it's not it's for as light and beautiful as it can sound it's really heavy oh yeah he talks about like um dealing with adolescence and the loss of love but that's in the lyrics and then in the musical harmonies it's so like joyful and uh, melodic uh, so it, it's kind of a trip and you know he mentions that you need to listen to it in the dark with headphones and I do that all the time. If I'm getting ready for like a solo exhibition or something important, I listen to pets. I still listen to pet sounds in the dark. Then that's heavy. Uh, yeah, it's heavy. <laughs> that's uh, but it's very inspirational. Um, yeah, it's funny because if you if you take pet sounds on the surface, it seems like you say you know kind of light mm-hmm. melodies are nice, you know. And then if you take um, if you take like Dark Side of the Moon it feels more, it, it would seem more moody, you know what I mean? Because it's dark side of the moon, it's like, I don't know, it's just the vibe of the way it looks and feels and, and sounds, it seems like it would be really heavy and kind of, but I think it's, they're flipped. Like the dark side of the moon for me feels really kind of upbeat in a way. It's it's very positive. And, yeah. uh, and Pet Sounds is dark. It's kind of like, you know, the Smiths is supposed to be this depressing band, but I was. It makes me so happy to listen to the Smiths. I don't get the. I don't get bummed out at all. But the lyrics are like you know, but it's like comical in a way or something. It is like this sort of satire, make like you know, there's Griffin in a coma, yeah. And I think people lost their shit at the time hearing that song, <laughs> but it was a this sort of satirical mention that like. Uh, I mean, I don't even know what it's about, but it, it wasn't supposed to be taken seriously. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine if someone today wrote some girls are bigger than others? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, uh, maybe I just don't think it would fly. <laughs> not from, uh, Morrissey. A, uh, white, yeah, but not from Morrissey. Yeah. Right. I think he's, he's become uh, this sort of controversial person nowadays. Yeah. But I guess there was a, a time for that. Um, so, well, let's go back. So, where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, South Central LA. Okay. Uh, that's... In California. And yeah. we're talking, like, what years were your coming of age? Oh, man. I was, um, like, the 90s. Throughout the 90s to okay. the early 2000s. South so... Central in the 90s is, like, I mean, I was living through those movies, you know, loving rap music, being young at that time. If you... If you have seen Boys in the Hood, oh yeah, or or Friday, I like. I lived in that neighborhood, like in not too far from there. So, well, that it, that couldn't have been easy. <laughs> no, it wasn't easy at all. And like my parents were very uh, protective of me. I was the youngest of four, and uh, at that time, I wasn't allowed to hang out with kids after school just because you know all of my friends were getting in trouble and uh there's constant like violent acts of um you know there's drive-bys and um 
you know, in the 90s in South Central, it's crazy. And I've had guns pulled on me. Uh, but because I was like constant, constantly inside, I was like playing video games, drawing a lot. And then I was also playing sports. So it's like, um, I was constantly just playing sports and playing video games and like not talking to anyone. So like my social skills were limited. Yeah. Um, but you know, I look back and it was quite an experience. Um, yeah, because pretty, a lot of kids grow up with sports and video games, but it's a by choice. It's not out of almost like house arrest and forced after school. So you're just not out in the hood, you know, like putting yourself in danger. Yeah, I was in constant surveillance by my brother and my my mom, and there was no way of escaping that. So I never really got to, um, you know, there will be occasions where my neighbor, um, we would sneak into like construction zones and try to break everything and we'll we'll uh we'll make these sort of you know we'll play golf in the middle of the street yeah. <laughs> so we'll just swing things and see how much damage we can create and you know we'll like we'll do jackass things before jackass came out right um and so um and that's I think I was a little rebellious, but also very uh, shy. Um, yeah, I think it was in a similar boat. I mean, not in the South Central aspect, but that, I mean, I skateboarded too, and I think it was just in the the air, you know, there was a culture of that, because, um, I don't know, did you ever skateboard? Yeah, I got, um, I got into skateboarding after I got into punk. And so oh, there's you went in that door through that door. <laughs> yeah, like because in I did different shit from my family because they didn't listen to any rock music. And so once I got into rock, uh all my peers in middle school and high school were also into skateboarding. And yeah. so I just started skateboarding and hanging out with my friends. I think towards high school where I became more free. And, uh, but all my skate further friends were like straight edge. So we'll oh, never yeah. like drink yeah. or smoke and, um, and we'll like stay up till, uh, 6 a.m. playing Halo or video games. And it was quite like, uh, quite pleasant, I would say. Yeah. I feel like there's two kinds of skateboarders. There were those who were the ones who got into it like troublemakers who didn't really want to skateboard like it wasn't all about the skateboarding it's more about that subculture and then there were ones who were really into it and they were goofy too but it was more you know like skateboarding was the the headline of it all you know but those old videos like the search for animal chin and stuff i grew up watching those and public domain and and there was always like the goofy parts of those videos that i think inspired us to do that kind of jackassy stuff pre-jackass yeah i remember watching what c tyk is that what Oh, uh, yeah. See, that was after my time, I think. I was already yeah. graduated from skateboarding at that point. So I never saw any of that until it was on MTV. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, you know, all the kids would talk about sort of segments of those um, videos. And I would just be like, what are you talking about? And then, like, lend me the, the VHS. And then I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe they're just doing that to each other. And I would never want to do that to my friends, but like, um, it was a sort of like excitement of getting into trouble 
and um, you know with skateboarders you often break a lot of bones and get injured a lot so yeah. it's, uh, you're, you're used, used to, to this sort of pain yeah well I guess growing up and the way you did under surve- constant surveillance for your safety or whatever like all kids want to push the line of you know whether it's like getting hurt or you know, or you're like getting into trouble or just you know just rebelliousness when you're a teenager or something i imagine that's really difficult when you're in that environment and then your family's really looking out for you but it's probably yeah. for the best <laughs> i mean for the best for sure at that time i was so rebellious and like you know constantly fighting with my mom because like i was you know i'm from a single parent family and <clears throat> i would you know at the time before there was no skinny jeans and so i had to like take my sister jeans and or take my jeans and like hem it or like put safety pins to make it tighter and um and for my mom that was like absurd and <laughs> not you know she's very religious a el salvadoran lady who only speaks spanish and like me having a mohawk and like skinny jeans and like patches all over my jackets band t-shirts she would like lose her shit and i think that at the time she was going through menopause so it was like even more intense and and i just did it because i knew it would upset her <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard because you don't know you know what i mean you kind of yeah. don't know what your parents are going through until yeah. you're a parent really or until you get older and you're in like adult situations and you're like oh man that must have been tough Oh, yeah. But when you're a kid, you're like, I don't want to deal with this stuff, you know? Yeah, that's why I feel like kids are, um, you know, here in Kansas City, we have a, a shop that's above my studio. And whenever there's like skateboarders around, I'm just like, oh, my God. They have nothing to lose. They're like, they're kind of like scary because they're not afraid of anything and like uh, <laughs> consequences and um and so sometimes they'll like talk back to me and I'm just like, oh man, I'm like kind of afraid of kids. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because when you're like 60 or 70 years old, that's when you should have nothing to lose. <laughs> yeah. But that's when yeah. everyone plays it safe. You know what I mean? But when you're young, you have your whole life out of you, but your mindset, that mindset of the hormones of just being like, I don't care what anyone says, I'm doing what I want, you know, is... Uh, but then that's the, then again, that's a lot of the, that is the era when a lot of people decide to join forces with creativity and start to, you know, because it's a form of self-expression. And, and if you didn't have that rebelliousness, I don't know how many people would get into the, the sort of idea of, well, I'm just going to make pictures or art for a living, <laughs> which is pretty punk in and of itself, you know? Yeah. And that's how- that's how I got into art, to be honest. It's like through punk and um, skateboarding. And, you know, all of my friends who were making, who were skating, would also just draw zines. Yeah, and I would just be like, "Damn, I want to do that." Um, and, you know, at that time, it was around um, what's it called the Mission School in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So there would be a lot of Barry McGee floating around, um, and uh, you know, from skateboarding, I got into graffiti. And then that transition over to fine art eventually. And um, that whole like getting into subcultures has been the sort of uh, light in my life, I would yeah. say. 
Yeah. It's like a path, right? I mean, because that's yeah. tough growing up in South Central with, you know, just your mom doesn't speak English. All and the everyone's siblings working are, Everyone's class. older than you, you know? Yeah. So you're like kind of like, you know, the youngest one is always like, come on. <laughs> you know, like, I, I got I got away with a lot, I would say. Yeah. Um, but it was all working class and they, um, you know, we grew up really poor. So this idea of making money out of something creative was absurd. Yeah. And even now my mom doesn't really understand what I do. She's just like, Oh, you know, I'm making paintings. Um, but you know, there's a whole aspect when it comes to like art and, uh, as a profession. Right. You know? Do you ever pick her brain on the difference between like when you were growing up and you have the mohawk and like the zines or the skateboards and like the band shirts and you know basically when she looked at you and she's probably like oh my god I came here and to raise these kids here and like this is what <laughs> this is how they repay me and then now to where you're actually you know you're doing you have a, a shop like you're doing like you're setting up a space you're making work you're you know doing stuff in the community like do you ever like I wonder if if there's kind of like a thread that's tied together and it's like oh okay uh, or or if a parent is just like they made it work you know it's a risky endeavor but they came out on the on the on the other end of it in a good way no you know to be honest I haven't I haven't really picked at her she's very um, emotionally self guarded yeah she she doesn't really v reveal too much. Um, but I know she's proud of me for sure. And like, I think coming from a single parent family, you constantly want to like, uh, impress your parents. And especially if you were abandoned as a child, you kind of want to sh show the world that like you're worth everything. So like my confident, um, drive has yeah. been to like just become successful and just had this crazy work ethic. Uh, but I think she kind of like, it's proud of me now. And the, the most rebellious thing that I, I have is an, an airing and, um, yeah. Well, I think she's loosened up over the years. Flowers for mother days. Cause that, that is not an easy gig raising this kid's pipe. Can you imagine? Like, I don't yeah. know. That's just a daunting in that environment. I mean, that's like hero stuff. Oh so, yeah. I mean, so did, was school tough? I mean, or did you, was, I mean, you were playing sports. What did you play? I played football, baseball, lacrosse, Jesus. soccer, <laughs> and then ran cross country. Yeah. <laughs> all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. They, they all coincide different seasons. So it's like, right for four years i had no rest and it was a good distraction i was pretty much a, a jock you know yeah and, and it creates well there's a safety of being in organized sports in schools so you're not out on the block and then mm -hmm. you know there's social capital in that too it's like cool to play sports and you know you meet people in school and it's kind of i don't know i think sports is such a great um it's a sort of like learning tool unconsciously for, you know, teamwork and all that stuff. I just think it, and it can apply to a work ethic that you could bring into the studio, I think too, you know? 
yeah, and there's mentorship among the coaches and um, the sort of uh, uh, community aspect with all the other team mem- uh, was um, teammates. Yep. Um, yeah, I learned a lot of life lessons through sports, and I still apply them to everyday aspects. Are you still active? Uh, right now, me and my friends are training for a marathon, so we're running. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now that's fascinating to me. A good friend of mine, Rudy, is uh, ultra. He does ultra running. I mean, I can't get into running. I don't know what it is. I need a ball to chase. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I run, I just I don't know. Like I could do treadmill or you know or those free run machines in the gym or something. But when I'm outside, I, and I see the 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 beauty of it of the landscape and the fresh air, but I just can't. I can't do it. I don't know what it is. It's you have to reach that sort of threshold, like a mile, like after a mile, your brain just like zones in, and at least for my brain, and you just keep running. And I just don't get tired for a while. And it, I think you really have to have a really good playlist or um, a podcast playing in your ear while you're. And I, I do a lot of running outside, and it's much exciting than tr- treadmills. I, I I get it conceptually. I I mean I was I wake up at like five thirty to go to the gym every day, and the other morning I woke up and it was really cold, and as I was walking you know to the gym, which was you know like a five minute walk, there were people running outside, and I thought it's so cold out. <laughs> you can go indoors and do this, but I, I get it. I I know that there's an exhilaration or it's like pushing your limits and all that stuff. Man, I I just thought it's so much warmer in the gym. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I need to join a gym to be honest, um, just because it's getting colder to a point where it's hard. It's harder to breathe. Yeah. And um, yeah, like when your nose hairs are freezing, that's like got to be hard on running. You know what I mean? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and then I also like want to do like weights, and I'm still very active. Yeah. Yeah. So very, yeah. I think it's it's key. It's it's so important for me in the studio because like if I don't exercise and I go in the studio, I feel so much less uh, active. Or you know when you feel active in the studio, or when you're like super tired and you just kind of sit there and you're thinking and you move slow. I don't know. I I feel like it helps to have that sort of like your blood kicking when you get in the studio. Yeah, I, and I, I read a lot of like Bauhaus philosophy books. And one of the things that the headmasters would make them do is work out. Like one of the aspects of being in the Bauhaus school was exercising, keeping your body fit, because then your body will um, add to a healthy mind and you'll become more creative and get the blood flowing. And um, it was very important to them. And so I really applied that to my life. I mean, it, it's true. I, whether people, like, if artists listening want to say, like, well, that's just, this is two jocks talking or something. But I feel like <laughs> it's just physically true that, like, even if you eat healthy, you're going to have more energy in the studio. Your your mind's going to be a little more clear than if you're just, you know, Doritos and 7-Ups and no sleep and smoking and never exercising. Mm-hmm. You could probably get the work done in the studio, but it's just not going to be the same you know what I mean? You're not going to have the same energy doing it. 
Yeah, totally. And uh, right now I'm reading a lot of self-help books and they're just saying like, if you're feeling sad, just go for a run or do something that will make your body go like move and create these endorphins to make you happier and like thinking healthier. Um, it's real. It it's is real. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I don't know if you ever had this cause I've gotten injured playing soccer to where I can't really exercise for, or when you get sick, mm -hmm. well, sick's different because you feel crappy no matter what. But if you're injured, like if you can't work out for a couple of weeks or do any moving or exercising, like I get bummed out. Like it's just, you know, I don't have the energy you know, you don't release those endorphins. You just get kind of like cranky, you know? Yeah. I just had a show in New York. And when I got back and I got COVID as soon as I got back. And so I was home sick. I couldn't do anything. I had brain fog and I was just miserable because I couldn't really, I couldn't sketch. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do, I was so bummed out. I, I couldn't be active. Um, Thanks, New York. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, it was worth it. You had your show. You were probably and you know, like we we didn't get to meet up when you were in town, but maybe that was. For, did I dodge a COVID bullet there? You know, actually, I did just had it previously too, mm -hmm. because um, and it really does knock you out, man. It's it's no joke, even in its lightest forms compared to like because I've known people who really struggled with it early on, but man, that is it's just. uh it's hard, you know, but you got, you had the show. Was the show, it went well? Yeah, the show was like amazing. Um, you know, I didn't what expect that. Too, oh right? my God. Yeah. yeah. That the whole gallery, I love that gallery. And um, the space is amazing, historical. It's a Norman Foster building. And everyone who came out was all great friends that I had in New York. And I still have, um, I still talk to them. But it was so amazing to have so many great artists come out and support. And, uh, and you know, the gallery, I always tell people, it's like dealing with galleries is kind of like um, dating. And yeah, you have to find, it's a relationship. And sometimes you'll have good relationships with galleries. And sometimes you'll have healthy relationships with galleries. And Spurney Westwater, it's like this gallery who absolutely believes in me and so like it makes me feel special and so it puts confidence to my work and um and they understand what i'm making right and so um yeah it's it was an amazing experience it's a good partner it's just like when you have a partner some people are supportive and like mm -hmm. champion what you do and give you that backing and other people are like why are you doing that what's wrong with you, you know? it's yeah like, take it out of you you have to find that good relationship it's hard though as it is in life you know it's hard to find you know that kind of good um working relationship yeah i think you have to go through bad relationships to in order to figure out what's a what's a good healthy relationship that's so true you don't marry your first date you know what i mean <laughs> yeah you, you have to go through the ringer of dealing with some bs before you say okay I don't have to deal with that. You know what I mean? Or that's not normal, you know, oh, yeah. to treat oh, someone yeah. that way. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's good to land somewhere you feel good about, you know? Mm -hmm. So, well, back, going back to when you were in school, you're, you know, you're doing all the sports when, and you're drawing at home and stuff. When did you start to, you know, veer towards like, oh, I really like 
making stuff, drawings and or paintings. And was it high school art, or was it until you got into college? Or yeah, it wasn't until college because I went into um, San Francisco State University for architecture, um, just because I didn't think there was any money in art. And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to go into a profession that's going to lead to a career. And I was doing architecture and towards my second year or third year. I just got really bored with it. And I told myself, like, oh, well, I have enough units in art. Why don't I just do that? And I got into printmaking and I graduated with a printmaking degree. Yeah. And then after college i realized oh you need a press and an acid bath and you know certain heavy machinery to create these works and um i kind of just got into painting around like 2015 did you ever paint in school like were you taking painting courses in school it was no all i did it it was all printmaking and drawing and um um, graphic design and so I kind of had to teach myself how to use oils and acrylics and at that time there was YouTube but I was just re- reading artist manuals and mm. um, and so my method of painting isn't traditionally what other students learn in school and so I, I don't think I could ever have a studio assistant because I feel like if I tell them how to make something or like gesso canvas, they'll they'll probably prove me wrong. Um, <laughs> like, but no, actually, this is yeah. <laughs> well, but everyone I think, has their way, though. There's no right yeah, way, really. Yeah, like, there's no right way. way you know? Um, so through architecture, but uh, you know, as I was going to school, I was getting really into music and film, all aspects of art, and. Um, how did I get into painting? I think it was this sort of, oh, just doing graffiti all over San Francisco. Oh, yeah. That all, yeah. So, and so, that like, process, all, it's so immediate, you know? Yeah. And so, there'll be graffiti writers that they went into, like, the Art Institute, and then you'll go over to their apartment, and, like, you're like, you ask them, like, oh, what are they working on? And, um, you know, they have this sort of different art persona and, they, they kind of inspired me how to like, okay, showing in galleries is a bit more exciting. Um, it's not exciting, but it's more grown up to do than showing on the streets. Right. Um, that, that hierarchy that was, you know, I mean, it took a, back when I was young, you know, graffiti wasn't even thought of. It was just in a different realm, you know. And then I think with people like, you know, when Beautiful Losers and stuff like that happened, it started to migrate more into the blurring the lines between. And now it's gotten to the point to where, you know, street art, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It's like that's... Yeah. But, yeah, so you were probably hitting San Francisco at a time when, you know, the, the actual wave of that has already crested in the sense that like people there were already showing in galleries. There's like luggage store. Is it a luggage store? Is that yeah. the name of that place? Yeah. So it's not like it was even, you know, still breaking through. It was kind of like people were crossing over. Yeah. They're, they're already established at that point. Like, you yeah. know, uh, Bear McGee was having exhibitions in museums. Um, 
Alicia McCartney was showing all over and um and so you kind of got to and you know you'll get to see them on the streets or at openings and they sort of become these sort of mentors to you and they they show you that it can you can make it happen um yeah and but everyone was at that time moving away from San Francisco because of all these tech companies coming in and the inability to expensive yeah, yeah. I, I had a what was it like a like a 10 by 10 room and I just stayed there for like maybe nine eight years jeez and I was paying really cheap rent but at that time I was like I can't I can't live this this way and um, I was showing a lot of minimalist paintings and at that time you know everyone was really into street art in San Francisco and I started selling paintings through Instagram to collectors in New York and I wasn't showing in San Francisco, but people in New York were really into my work. And so I was like, oh, I'll just move to New York. Um, and it totally changed my life. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's such a, it, it's so, it's such a different process. You know what I mean? This, that the ability to be able to, to show your work on social media and then connect with people that way, you know, and then follow that in a way and not feel like, you know, I mean, you did go to New York for a little and, you know, which is, and San Francisco is a big city and there's, you know, art markets there or whatever, but, you know, using social media to sort of like circumvent this sort of old process of like just digging in one city and starting to show there. And that's, and then once you hit a certain level, then you could start showing in other places or connecting with people outside, you know, that, that totally changes the metric of how you can communicate your work to the to people at large, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, with graffiti, you often go to different cities and you create this sort of relationships with other artists in those cities. And so you create this community over time that you can go back to and reconnect or like, you know, if I was to go to Berlin, I have people to stay with because I've lived in in Vancouver when they did. And so I always tell people, it's like, if you get stuck, go travel and like try to make a new relationship with someone. And um, because, you know, a lot of the times with the art world, it's like who you know, and we can always share resources with one another. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, it's it's funny because that who you know thing can traditionally is used in a pejorative sense of like, oh, well, the art world is just like you just have to know the right people. But, you know, you do have to be on people's radar to be, mm-hmm. you know, introduced to a gallery or to be in a group show or whatever. It's like if you're just working in, your, you know, a 10 by 10 studio, no one's ever going in there and you're not sharing the work with anyone. How are you going to establish yourself or show anywhere? You know, it's like you you do have to be in the communication uh, now you know it. Sometimes people get advantages because of who they know and maybe not deserve it, but that happens everywhere, you know. But you do have to be out there. Yeah, and and for a person who was lacking social skills early on in my childhood, it's been hard to um, go out of my way and introduce myself to people. Like if you if you saw me at an opening in New York, 
I'll just be by myself and I'll probably see the opening and then just leave because uh, I wouldn't know anyone. <clears throat> but nowadays, I just go over to people's studios and hang out yeah. and um, just meet up with artists. And like, I like, I love meeting nice artists because you can, um, you can communicate in a deeper level. Definitely. And, uh, and you know, like galleries are never going to, you're never going to be discovered by just making work and not showing it to anyone. You kind of have to go out there and put in the, the work you have to like, socialize you have to network uh, and um and just try to create this sort of community where you can rely on on your peers for uh yeah yeah i think to, in, to anyone who is really shy you know what i mean and thinks to himself well i just don't i can't do i was the same way i was i would go to an opening and not talk to anyone i'd just stand in a corner like mill about you know what I mean? And, yeah. And I, I was painfully shy for a long time. Like growing up, I wasn't outgoing. And, you know, I think I just worked at it. And, you know, having a kid helped too because that kind of forced me to be more social just so he doesn't grow up with like no friends or no, you know, just like yeah. being at home all the time. But I, I do think that you can you can teach yourself to be more outgoing and, and be a people person because I don't think I was I'm necessarily I was perfectly happy when I got out of graduate school living in New York City painting from you know 8 30 a.m. until like 10 at night and not seeing anyone or doing anything and I did that for a long time <laughs> so you know yeah but people can I think they can work on on that and and you really find that it's it kind of enriches you to meet other artists and to spend that time with them and talk about work. It doesn't even have to be on some super deep level of just like hanging out, looking at work, you know, listening to music or whatever. It, it does a lot for your, um, your bandwidth. I think your creative bandwidth in your brain. Definitely. And, you know, like one of my favorite subjects in university was like sociology. And they often say like human beings, they need to socialize. And it's important yeah. for our like development and um, like happiness, and that's why like a lot of you know these third world countries, like you meet the happiest people at these sort of villages where they have this community aspect. Yeah. And um, I'm still very shy, but as I'm getting older, I'm starting to care less about intimidation, and um, and I just approach people if I want to approach them and. And start a conversation, and if that doesn't work, then oh well, it didn't work. And um, but oftentimes, people just want to talk. Yeah, and, definitely. Um, yeah, it's it's nice that as you get older, you just don't give a shit anymore. So you yeah, just, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like I always used to feel embarrassed. Like oh, if I went up to them and they said hi, my name's Kevin. Like uh, blah 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 blah, and they look away and don't give me an attention attention. Now, if, if they do that, it's like, oh, okay. Oh, well. Like, I don't care. Who cares? Yeah. Like, who cares? No one's <laughs> going to judge me tomorrow. Right. Um, and it's yeah, not going to kill me. Yeah. No, not at all. I mean, you're, yeah. you're just going to be hard on yourself. That, that person's not going to care. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think when you, sometimes though, when you're younger, at least in my case, I feel like you don't have the experience, like the life experience or just the talking experience to to make it go easy or just to not worry about it so you get really tense you know but then as yeah. you just do more and do more and talk to more people you realize it's not a big deal it's almost like 
you know, you just have to go through the reps of doing it, you know? And it's, yeah. it's it, it, at a certain point, you're just like, wait on. I remember the first time, or not the first time, but, you know, like speaking about work used to be so hard in the beginning. Like I would get really nervous. And um, now it's just like the people, if I ever talk somewhere, they're like, wait, are you going to shut up? Like, is this ever going to end? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it happens. <laughs> I've given some artist talks and, and like the first couple ones I would like study and memorize certain phrases and, and, and uh, what my work's about. Now, nowadays I just go into it, not, um, not prepping and just yeah. uh, talking about what uh, appears in my head and, and just being natural, I guess. Sometimes you can, you can hear how someone, um, has their speech organized and prepared and a lot of the podcasts that I listen to or uh, talks it's when people talk very naturally and yeah. um, and sometimes it's with it's real yeah like the best artist talk I ever went to was a David Trigley oh. um, talk and <laughs> it's like stand up <laughs> damn, that guy is so hilarious yeah and um, and it was uh, so insightful because he's so real and yeah. he talks about the struggles of like starting off, um, and just he's just seems like an authentic person. And that, if you're giving an artist talk to young people, like say it's in the school or something, mm-hmm. that is useful. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Going up there, how many talks have I seen where an artist who's you know in their 40s or 50s or something, they're you know mid career or something, they they're not fresh out the gate, and they go through this like hour long slide lecture, and it's just about them and the work it's so boring hermetic and just self aggrandizing you know it i don't know it i think that's not super useful to students like they want to hear you know how how the process is or like how you found it or you know i don't know that to me that seems much more exciting i've seen a lot of head nodding like off to sleep in the <laughs> lectures of the you know the slide lecture i tried i used to have like a whole front to back linear thing and now like i i explode it you know it's i'm not even worried about that anymore i just want to just talk and 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 sort of share some ideas or something yeah like when i'm reading interviews or um, listening to um, documentaries i want to know what they're listening to or what was their studio snacks like um how would they get to the studio? How would they find inspiration? How do you break artist blocks? All these like um, process processes becoming an artist rather than hearing their artist statement or the sort of uh, pseudo intellectual um, concepts that my brain can't comprehend. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, well, speaking of um, process and all that, I mean, when you got out of school and you started, did you move, how long was it before you moved to New York from San Francisco? Um, I graduated in 2014 and I stayed till 2016. Okay. But I was in San Francisco for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, like right after high school, I, I got into school. You know, I went to university, but it took me a while to graduate just because I had to pick up a j- multiple jobs to afford the apartments. And, you know, coming from a poor family, I didn't get any financial help. So it took me a while to save up for college and and um, 
just kind of balance that. And then once I got to New York, I just immediately started working at the Met and then uh, at another gallery. I think after I got introduced to the Memphis group, it wasn't too long where I was like, oh, I need to move to New York. I just, and I always intended to live in London. And I was like, oh, New York is like the stepping stone to London. And then, you know, New York, you get sucked in. Yeah. And you end up living there for 10 years. (laughs) Yeah. Like a time suck happens, you know? Well, if you, yeah, because you're working so hard just to like, you know, do it basically just to be there. It's such an effort that, you know, the time goes by, you know? Yeah. You forget, you forget that you're, um, you're there for like five years and, um, just cause you're working and you're spending all your time on the Metro and, and every day there's always something happening. So it's, you never, you never really get bored. Yeah. It's, Um, it's crazy. Like to think like I've been there 24 years, you know what I mean? That's like, that's a significant part of my life, but it just, in a way it kind of flies by. Cause you're in it. It's like that kind of thing when you're busy, time mm-hmm. moves quicker, you know? Oh yeah. But did you set up, were you like making work and you connected with people right away or was it a good time? Oh yeah. I think, um, I, at first for like the first year I was working out of my, my bedroom. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, my student, I never had a studio in San Francisco. So I got introduced to having a studio when I moved to New York. And at that time I was like, oh, I can't cut wood and paint in the place where I sleep. And, um, and so I ended up getting a studio and then I started going to a, my first like studio visits. And I think the first person I visited was Angela Heisch and after that, we just became best friends. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I got settled pretty early on just because I, I went to New York with this plan that like, this is my top goal and I want to make it happen. And New York is a place where if you want something, you can do it. It's yeah. possible. And so, um, I went to New York just for art. And I knew what I wanted to do, so I was going to make that happen. And that's like when the sports mentality kicks in, where it's like, right. work hard, dedicate your life to this, and it's going to happen. And um, and so after Angela Heisch, I started going to other studios and um, just making friends that way. Yeah. And were you, was the work at that point similar to what you're doing now? Was it, were you making, you know, abstractions and adding collage like elements to it and um i wasn't adding yeah i wasn't adding collage elements to it i was making a lot of abstract work that was um there was a lot more architectural elements and so they were paying homage to like bridges or buildings and uh, you know kind of following suit with the minimalist um, period and the sort of hard edge, being cold, distant from emotional uh, impact. And um, so there was just more like based on infrastructures and design elements around metropolitan cities. And then it wasn't, I got into ceramics maybe during the pandemic. So no, wait, 2018. 
and then I started adding this sort of ceramic elements into my paintings and becoming more loose. How did uh, that happen? Because you, you didn't just happen to have a kiln in your studio. <laughs> no, <Probably>. oh, uh, <laughs> no, not at all. And um, at the time, I was dating a ceramicist, and they kind of introduced me to that world. Um, and like, I made my first ceramic painting in 2018. And I hated it because it was not uh, mathematically exact how I would want it. It was it was too like wonky, and I had too much of my artist's hand, which wasn't um, something I had before. And were you painting pre, like were you glazing or were you firing or were you just painting on clay? What was the process? Um, you know, rolling out slabs and, yeah. um, you know, uh, rolling out slabs into sort of organic forms and then firing them in bisque. And once that came out, I would draw it out very like mathematically mm -hmm. to exact. And I would paint it into sort of hard edge style with glazes. And once I put it in the kiln and it got fired, the kiln would do their own thing and um, merge the glazes and get a little bit like um, relinquishing control. And uh, I always, I always talk about um, with ceramics that it's kind of like a dance for me. And uh, like I would do my part and then the kiln would do its part. And so whenever I would open the kiln, it's always this unpredictability and I don't know. It's always a surprise. I never yeah. know how it's, it's going to look like. It's a collaborative. Yeah, it's a collaborative. And they're totally. not totally listening to you. <laughs> the kiln yeah, doesn't. Yeah, no. It, like, stuff happens. You're like, oh, really? That's where you went with that? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, um, you know, philosophy. I mean, philosophy. Ceramics definitely has changed my life because it's introduced this sort of like philo philosophic uh, concepts to in. You know, like one of the first rules I learned with ceramics is like, don't get attached because things can break. Right. And I was like, damn, that's so romantic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, I got into ceramics through Max girlfriend and, uh, and then I just became hooked. Yeah. And, um, and then I learned that like my mom did ceramics when she was a child, but it was, you know, for like, um, everyday purposes so it's like plates and right um and you know silverware and but so i had to, that before right i didn't know that before That's so like interesting. I, yeah so it wasn't until ceramics that i learned that my mom actually had this sort of artistic quality to her and so it created this like deeper bond with her and so that made me pursue it even more yeah that was in el salvador mm-hmm did you, yeah. was, was your mother from San Salvador, like the city, or was she from the country? She's from the country, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, she grew up really poor, and so, like, their ability to dig up clay and fire it in the, in the pit, it was, like, a normal thing. That's when you know it's rustic, when it's in the Yeah, pit. oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's, uh, it's very inspirational, and... You know, ceramics has this, it's very similar to permaking where it's all based on processes and 
layers and and I think that's how my brain works is this some investigative based on process based actions and but it also it's very wabi sabi for me where I don't really have full control of what happens and I could I could control it with underglazes and certain um methods but i like the sort of unpredictability um, yeah there's a time-based element too yeah you know it's like you there's drying there's firing Mm -hmm. there's temperature things that you can try to control but it's never complete control you know oh no yeah it takes me like ceramics it's it's so it's such a there's the physicality of it you know the process is amazing Mm mm-hmm yeah, it takes me months to make one just because I have to let it dry, make sure it doesn't crack. Um, yeah, it's uh, you have to like really practice patience. Yeah, What's wrong? And you've been unencumbered, I, I imagine, by the um, the canon of ceramics because sometimes in art schools, ceramics can be you know there's that sort of like push and pull against the right way to do it or a more traditional way. And then, you know, people who quote unquote, just don't know anything about it and they're just going rogue, you know what I mean? Which is often really fun stuff, but <laughs> I'm, I'm going rogue in the studio all the time. Like okay. I, and I'm not, um, I'm not trying to take any classes or like learn too much of it because I feel that would constrict me from yeah. being, um, uh, going outside the box. And so a lot of the times, um, People ask me how I I would if I glaze my own stuff, and I would use a lot of commercial glazes, and I, I'll kind of like modify them a lot and add certain chemicals, or I'll let them dry out, and they would they'll be different compared to the commercial glazes. And um, I try to do everything wrong with ceramics because like that's the best way to make it unique to how you're able to accomplish these um, processes. Like I learned it once I was listening to this um, documentary with Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins. Mm-hmm. And when they were making uh, Siamese Twins or Siamese Dreams, I forget. Siamese Dream, yeah. Siamese Dream, uh, he would play with this broken guitar and there'll be parts where like you'll hear the feedback and that's what made Smashing Pumpkins is a sort of like broken guitar sound. And so I love, you know, modifying certain a- aspects of my creative process in order to like try to make it my own. Yeah. Uh, but you so. do do a lot of different media. I mean, you know, you're doing sort of like hybrid painting ceramics, you're doing ceramic stuff. You, um, I would imagine you could still do printmaking. Are you ever doing prints too? Um. Not as no, much as under not that. as much. Yeah, because you know, you it, it takes months and months to make an edition. And for me, it's like I like to jump from one image to another image, another composition. We can and do monotypes, though. I can do monotypes. Um, I I think uh, I'm so I'm still stuck with ceramics right now that I I can't even fathom. Because um, I was talking to my friend Amy Lincoln and her husband about making prints, and 
now I'm like, if I make prints, I would want to make it very unique, you know, like uh, not on a traditional like plate or wood block onto paper, but like, I don't know, add some aspects of ceramics and, um, but it's really hard to like think of a concept that's going to be new and unique for me. So it ceramic, takes months to even ceramic print. Like yes, right. Carving so in like, clay and using it as like a reverse wood block sort of deal. Yeah. There you go. Bricolage. Putting so s- stuff on the clay and then having it go on. You can break all the rules, man. <laughs> I want to break all the rules. That's that's my uh, aim in, in life. It's like breaking the rules because, you know, when you go to art school, you, you get taught all these things and it's hard to, you know, what Picasso said, it took him 50 years to like paint like a child or, or like... Yeah. Um, and I like that sort of like uh, idiot approach to to mediums, and you know that's why I, I include a lot of different um, processes and mediums into my hybrid paintings because as I'm painting something, I'm learning how to uh, you know, make do kintsugi or how to work with flocking. Um, you know, I'm constantly teaching myself as I'm painting. A painting. Yeah. And, and it was very uh, punk. I mean, that's how the, those guys, you know, they didn't take guitar lessons. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they just picked yeah. this stuff up and and went with it. Do you like, uh, do you know the band Cap and Jazz? I mean, they were from way back. No. It was like a hardcore Chicago band, but, you know, they were, it, it was so raw and, and you know, there was like a, occasional trumpet in, in the band, but it was like hardcore music and it was just so... Um, raw and you could just tell someone just picked up the trumpet and just went off. You know what I mean? It's there's something really exciting about that kind of energy. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that's why I got into punk because it's like, you can do it. You just buy, you know, a guitar instrument and just learn how to play. And, um, and you know, I watched like documentaries on like what Aphex Swim and he was making like his own instruments at the age of 13 and like, that's why his his way of making music is because he never learned in this traditional way and um, and just going into it, just like, you know, there's been so many times where I'm co- always contemplating when I want to start something and I worry about it so much that I don't even end up doing it. And so it's like, I, nowadays, I'm just like, just do it. Just get into it and learn as you go. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's funny because so many young students really, it's like the opposite of it now. Like you, they don't want to break the rule. They want to be like masters. And I think because there's so many people on Instagram or on YouTube that are, you know, it's like a lot of the creative content online that goes viral that people are into are these people who are really gifted and like can really quickly render, you know, something that looks beautifully exactly like something you know what i mean it's like it's mm-hmm. technique driven stuff and that's yeah. happened in music too there's a lot of musicians who are just like you know really gifted at their their instrument which is great but i think it's not realistic for everyone to you know to become rembrandt or to become you know like that uh polyphia whatever that that band mm-hmm. is where the guy's like an amazing guitar you know, <laughs> stuff like that it's just you know I think there's a desire for everyone to to make things that are just technically amazing, but maybe, and, and they seem to not really care that a lot of that stuff is like 
either cheesy or just not interesting to look at really mm-hmm. outside of the technique. But I don't know. That's a, it's been a recent shift I've noticed. What happened to the punk ethos of just like, you know, throwing stuff around like a champ, you know what I mean? And having fun yeah. with it and just like breaking the rules. I'm a, I'm a sole believer of like happy mistakes. It's like yeah. doing something and, um, you know, with no intentions and then you look at it in a different light and you're like, oh, actually, I should implement that into my practice. Like, uh, and it's like a brand new discovery. It's like discovering America. It's like, oh shit, like this is, this is unique and like, um, and special and it could be mine. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's how people, by experimenting, that's how you learn these new techniques. Yeah. And I, I, I instead of like, reading something on on in the books and and watching youtube and, and trying you know i'm youtube tutorial for experimentation yeah. I'm like and everyone's imitating another artist or another you know and I, i'm not all about that and i kind of oh, stop stop looking at other artists and i stop trying to like imitate other people and just like okay i think it's about time for me to be me yeah yeah, that's a you're you're giving some good advice for <laughs> artists out there. The the worst I the ones that I I can't do are the the Instagram ones of people pouring paint and like just pouring it and moving the painting around and swirling it and then it's finished and they're like this is people are like oh it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> you know it, what I mean. It's just come on, come on. It's like, um, it's in. It's more, I think it's more like entertaining to watch. Yes. Because after you see it, like hanging in the gallery wall, you kind of, your, your brain goes to like, oh, that's Instagram art. Or right. It's meant for reels. Um, yeah. And you know what's interesting? I was, um, there was a music example of that where it was someone who's really good at something, but then in the comments someone was talking about how like yeah, this is great for like a little clip on instagram or whatever but i imagine going to see this in a live show you know it does not yeah. work so you you kind of understand that i mean if if you've been doing it for a while you can understand there's different avenues for art or creativity that work in their lane kind of and might not transition over but if everyone's encountering everything on a two-inch square screen and scrolling mm-hmm. through you know, you could almost be brainwashed that like that is the important way to to create. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's it it can be a lot bigger than that. Oh yeah, I mean, um, I like to think that Instagram is not the real world. It's like it's a great place to like post something and get feedback on it, but I don't live for it. Like I don't, I don't ever go to the studio. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna record. I'm gonna time lapse myself so I can put this on Instagram, and a lot of times I forget to take photos of like my pro like steps. Yeah. Uh, you know, with Speroni because I was, I'm living in Kansas city and they're in New York. They would constantly want updates. And so I was just like, okay, I need to like show them the bisque and then the glazing and like the construction. Cause I make all my panels and so like, Oh, I'm making all the panels. And, um, and so that, that was the first time I had to like document my processes. But I never, I never really go into the studio. I'm going to record myself for Instagram. It's, I mean, if I did it, 
it would not be entertaining to watch. <laughs> it's a lot of sitting around looking at it. And, yeah. I mean, I guess you time lapse it and that's kind of neat or whatever, but I mm-hmm. mean, it's just not really, you know, it, the, the final thing I think is what we want people to look at really. Yeah. And I move around, you know, I have right now I have a 1500 square feet studio. I move around all nice. over that place. So it's like, it's hard to like take my phone on a tripod and be like, okay, I'm going to be over here now. And, um, well, I think everyone's going to be bummed out to find out that you're not working on a new line of Kevin videos dancing in the studio in front of your audience. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm still a shy person, so I, I wouldn't <laughs> see that. Yeah. Um, um, and so, do you listen to music when you're painting? Yeah, I listen to a lot of music. Um, I listen to like a lot of music that you know, like ABBA and Beach Boys, uh, but then also like Big Star and the Replacements, and so it's like. I, you know, I just let uh, my Spotify or YouTube player play on, and um, and then if I'm not listening to music, I'll usually be on the phone with my friend Jesse Morrisberger, and we'll talk for like six hours, or we won't even talk; we'll just have FaceTime open, and like we'll watch each other paint. Hangout session, virtual. Yeah, it's like a yeah, a virtual hangout session, and um, but. Yeah, a lot of music and I, I listen to repetitive like albums so it's like okay i'll listen to um this one abba album for just hours and i forget that i'm listening to it and, um, and it fuels me and and uh i always have like a notebook next to me just because as i'm making artwork i'm always trying to like write about why i'm making it so mm-hmm. when it comes to writing an artist statement or exhibition statement, I have all these notes that I can fall back on. Uh, and a lot of times it's like lyrics from, <laughs> from music. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I listen to a lot of music. And um, have you found the, the move to Kansas city? I mean, obviously you've settled in. Do you, you like it there? Yeah. Uh, it allows me to just focus on my work. Uh, and it's nice, you know, like I've never had this much space before and yeah. it's, 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 it's definitely influenced my, my work and I've gotten into certain, uh, I've gotten to like botany and um, driving around and like hiking and exploring the city that has contributed to certain like themes in my work and uh, the people here are so awesome. Yeah. The majority of the times I hang out with a lot of expatriates that that lived in New York. And so we would like reminisce like, oh remember like did you go to cats and da 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 and um and so it's like this sort of I have this close knit of friends that we can just like talk to each other in this this um What I know there's good food there from what oh, yeah. I've heard, but how's the coffee? Is there good a good pl- or are you a coffee drinker i'm not a coffee drinker actually i was gonna say you strike me as maybe not being a coffee drinker yeah i, I only seem very even <laughs> yeah i don't drink coffee it for me coffee is emergency only situation so it's like if i have a deadline coming up i you i drink coffee because my tolerance is so low that if i drink coffee it would oh, affect me lucky son of yeah 
But it's like, I, I'm not a coffee drinker. It, it does nothing for me except keep me at, you know, the status quo. You know what I mean? Like, I don't get... It just doesn't do anything anymore. My tolerance is so high that, yeah, that must yeah, be nice to... And that's, there, I love I love coffee, but I I don't well, drink it for that purpose. Yeah, the, there is decaf. I like a lot of tea, like yeah. green teas. And, well, it's good for you, yeah. Yeah, it's good for you. And um, I got a real, I, I just got really into drinking water. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> um, also very good for you. As well. Yeah. So that's actually drink, like the best thing. Drinking like maybe like 64 ounces a day. And, um, you know, when, as you get older, you have to like keep hydrated to keep your skin healthy and all of that. And, um, but yeah, coffee is my emergency drug. Well, sorry to hear that. <laughs> in case of emergency in the studio yeah like Brick i'm drinking coffee cool shot because <laughs> yeah, that's you know it's eight o'clock here or nine o'clock now but i was like oh i need coffee to to feel alert right um uh no we have mind. we have amazing food here we have like the best football team um and then you know a lot of jazz musicians have came has come through Kansas City and we have amazing architects that build houses here and um it's a hidden gem in the middle of America and before uh, I moved here I didn't really know much about Kansas City and um wait isn't Charlie Parker from Kansas City? Yeah, Charlie Parker's from who Kansas else, City. Who else from Kansas City. Kenny um, no. There's a lot of jazz guys. Here. Count Basie? Ah, good stuff. Um, and uh you know donald judd was born like a couple of miles away uh you know hemiway worked for the kansas city star uh what's his name um wendell castle yeah, yeah it's a lot of a lot of big that, artists uh headquarters of mk12 i what's don't know that? if you know who mk12 no. <laughs> motion graphics company my friend okay story. Um, um, but yeah, it's a, it's, a, I haven't been to Kansas city in so long, but it's a great place, but it's, it's, it seems like you've gotten yourself in a really good place and you're still very connected and doing your stuff. So, you know, to, to the people out there like, well, do you have to, you know, cause you always get that question. Do you mm-hmm. have to live in New York? I do think it's sometimes good to spend some time in a city to plant some roots yeah, and then get out of there. You know what I mean? Like once you, like you don't have to stay there forever. <laughs> but yeah, it's I mean, good lot, to make some connections. Definitely. Like a lot of my friends who lived there for like ten plus years, they live in upstate now. Or yeah. they're trying to move outside of city because um you know people who live in Connecticut it takes them what, two, three hours to get to New York. It takes me the same amount of time. I just have to fly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um you know, I, I go back pretty often and I still have my connections and um, I talk to my friends all the time, every day, pretty much. Um, Look, you, so, you, know, you, you fly in on a Friday, you hit Katz's, you go to the galleries and you, you know, you, you can do it all on a weekend and then you get out of there and you don't have to deal with the day-to-day grind of it. Yeah. Like you're trying to, to convince me to move. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I should have done that before COVID if that were the, the, the yeah. case. Because that was yeah. a, a long lockdown, you know, in the city. Oh yeah, like I, the reason I moved away was because of COVID, and 
and um, it was nice to um, not to live on top of each other and right. have to be on the train and um, uh, and I think Kansas City allows because there's not as many distractions that New York has it just allows me to focus on my own practice mm-hmm. and I it wasn't until recently that I've just become like self-employed but in New York I was like working two jobs and like maybe painting three hours a day and then going home at like 1 a.m. And it just became like exhausting. Yeah. 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 And so now I'm like in the studio for 13 hours and feel like I've been productive. And um, I think they have a expression for that. It's, uh, it's called uh, quality of life. Quality of life. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) You have better quality of life. And it's a, a slower pace here. Yeah. It's, it, I think it's allowed me to slow down a little and um, which is nice. It's, yeah, that it's, seems to fit your vibe. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't seem like the kind of person who would want that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you yeah. seem very laid I'm back in mellow. that sense. Yeah. yeah. You don't very, have to be hustling around like crazy all the time. Yeah, because when I was living in New York, you know, I'm from California and like all my bosses would be like, oh, you're so Californian. And I was like, what? It's like, you know, you think of California as like a uh, surfer, bro, like, dude, and like, all you want to do is chill. Um, and I still have that quality to it, but I also have like that crazy work ethic that New Yorkers have. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's nice. So, it's nice here. What are you working on now? Do you have anything coming up or how can people see, check out your work? What's the best way? Right now I have a show at Sproney Westwater and it's up till February 25th. And, um, you know, it's a good run. It's yeah, it's a good run. Yeah. Oh my God. And, and right now I'm just working for, I'm trying to make bigger works. And so, um, I'm conceptually strategizing how I can scale up and, uh, create this new body of work. It took me a long time because I work in, uh, I, what I learned from Pet Sounds is that you have, I have, I want to conceptually work on a body series instead of working on individual pieces. Right. And so it takes me a long time to prep and decide on like what my direction is going to be. I have to write a lot before I even start making the works. Um, Concept album. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Pretty much. Thinking yeah. of a group of work together, it's like, you know, it's a little, it's almost a throwback at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's so, it's, isn't it funny how with music, it's just like streaming, you just release new singles and the same thing with art. It's like art fairs or you just trickle yeah. the work out. And yeah, that idea of a body of work. Well, the good news is you got the space for bigger work now. That's for sure. It's not a 10 yeah. foot by 10 foot space. So Yeah, no, I get to spread out and, you know, I listened to the Chris Martin um, episode that you did uh-huh. and that's how I learned that like, make you know construct all the panels and have them along along the walls and then paint simultaneously with all of them and um and so that changed my whole concept of approaching the body of works it's like have you know it takes me months to roll out the slabs let them dry and so once the ceramics are done i work on the composition and then i glaze and then once that's glazed i hear it to the panel and so it takes months for the processes, even before I start painting. And so, um, yeah, I'm working on 
I have like maybe like 20 pieces right now that are in preparation. Nice. Yeah. yeah. It's a good body of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, congrats on the, the Speroni show. That's, that's great. And um, yeah, thanks for doing this. It was great to talk. Yeah, thanks for having me over. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find more about the podcast at soundandvisionpodcast.com. Images on Instagram at soundandvisionpodcast. More about my work at brianalfred.net or at Alfred Studio. Many thanks to Golden Artist Colors and Fulcrum Coffee Roasters for the sponsorship. Many thanks to Kevin. Check out his show at Speroni Westwater. Check out his stuff on website. If you made it this far into the podcast, you're probably a fan. And if you could take a couple minutes to go online and leave a rating and review, it really helps out the podcast. And check out the Why I Make Art official book of the podcast, available wherever you get books. Forward by Rishikesh Hirway of Song Exploder. If you're in the market for an amazing music podcast, Song Exploder does not disappoint. There's also a Netflix series based on the podcast as well. Check that out. Many thanks, and we got some great people coming up, so make sure to stay tuned.